I, I have a good friend who, while he has some appreciation for jiu-jitsu, he's, he's very much a boxer. And he responded to some of the comments I've made in previous podcasts about jiu-jitsu, saying, you seem like you are very stuck in your views on jiu-jitsu, and you really discount the effectiveness of other striking arts, like boxing, for instance. Now, don't get me wrong. I think, while well, this po- first of all, this podcast today is not about boxing and jiu-jitsu. It's actually about sources of innovation. But I wanted to touch on this because I think it links pretty nicely to what I want to talk about today. So, while I have most of my time wrapped up in jiu-jitsu, and most of my training experience goes into jiu-jitsu, I did box for a few years, and I did train in Muay Thai for a few years, and I have a tremendous amount of respect, and I fully appreciate the effectiveness of boxing, and wrestling, and Muay Thai, and Sambo, and Judo, and if any of these practitioners are able to impose their will on you, you, it doesn't really matter what martial art you do, you're going to be in a really bad spot. I think it's more about when a person is able to play their game. And I think with these striking arts and these other combat arts, again, I think it comes down to their effectiveness being grounded in the fact that you are practicing almost at 100%, if not 100%, most of the time. So again, you know it works. A boxer knows that if she can hit you with a decent combination, the chances of you recovering from that and coming back to do a takedown are probably next to nil. And the same would go for a judo player throwing you on your head on the asphalt or a wrestler for that matter, or a Muay Thai boxer. But there's an interesting thing here, and I was thinking about this boxing situation. When a boxer is standing up with you, if the boxer's in front of you, and you can sort of cover up and take a few punches, it's not too bad. But where you have a lot of problems with a boxer is, and this is what boxers are really good at, moving. Because how often does a boxer stand directly in front of you? Not very often. They're moving left, they're moving right, they're phenomenal with their footwork. And the problem is you don't see the punch coming. You might see punch one, punch two, but where did punch three come from? Where'd that body shot come from? Where did that hook come from? And they're moving in and closing the distance and moving around you to set themselves up for multiple punches. So the big problem with a boxer is that chances are you're not going to see the punches coming. Now, this is actually quite interesting because when we think about business and we think about the sources of innovation, if, if you're tending to be more reactive, and I think there's two ways you can approach it. You can be proactive or reactive. But if you're, if you're tending to be more reactive, the problem is 
you're not going to see the punch coming. Right? You're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting. And boom, you're getting smacked in the face. And, the, and again, what, what often happens with this reactive situation is that there could be two or three things happening in the market, right? It's this three-punch, four-punch, five-punch combination, right? You're dealing with coronavirus, right? That's number one. You've had to let some of your staff go because your costs are piling up. That's number two. Your revenue's down. That's number three. The fourth punch, which you may have thought about at some point in time but just never expected it, to come at you in this way is the knockout punch. And in this case, I think about what's happening with some of the exports coming out of Australia and take lobster as an example. It's sitting on the dock, or I think it's sitting on the tarmac actually, overseas in China. And I find it really hard to believe that the owners supplying that lobster could have prepared themselves for that combination of punches. Left, right, left, hook, whatever it is. And this is part of the problem, right? If we are not proactive in the way that we approach innovation, kind of think about the difference between being on an offense and a defense, and you've probably heard the best defense is a good offense, right? Offense is a good thing. And being proactive with innovation and triggers of innovation will help keep you from taking too many shots. Now, I think back to this really cool quote. I love Marcus Aurelius. I love the Stoic philosophy. Uh, a few years ago, I started a clothing company called Praetorian Code. And I actually started it for two reasons. I started it, one, because I refused to continue to buy rashies that were overpriced and that constantly fell apart and the sleeves ripped off and the collars ripped. And I also started it because I had this sort of stoic philosophy tied into my jujitsu and about pain and suffering and sort of going through this experience and doing the best you can sort of do, but always showing up to, to kind of live and learn and, and take that on board. And one of the shirts we have, and again, this goes back to this boxing example, and the quote goes something like this. Marcus Aurelius said something to the effect of, the fencer's weapon is picked up and put down again, but the boxer's weapon is part of him, right? And I think when we think about innovation and we think about triggers of innovation, that proactive response to what's happening in the market, what's happening with different demographics, what's happening with these black swan events and what's happening with innovation and what's happening with, you know, compliance. Those things have to be part of our organization. We have to be proactive in that. We should really have a business intelligence team that is focusing on those sources of innovation and letting us know where, you know what, you might run into a situation where you're going to get hit with a two, three or four punch combination here. Okay. So today's podcast is about that. It's about thinking about where these sources of innovation are going to come from, where they're going to hit us within our organization when they do hit us, and 
In terms of the response, my response is always going to be very much get out of dealing with this reactive situation and set yourself up for a proactive response. So what are the sources of innovation? Drucker had quite a few. I think he had seven. And there were several other people that added to Drucker's original seven. And this goes back quite a number. I mean, this has got to be... I don't, it's got to be like over 30 years, I think. So this goes back quite a while. But I, I don't necessarily use all of his sources of innovation. I, I don't even like to use the term source. I, I prefer to use trigger. I think that what happens is these things are triggers for us to respond or to take an action. And hopefully we're taking that action proactively. But I think the source of the innovation itself within your company doesn't come from these things, doesn't come from these external things. It actually comes from your own approach to innovation. It comes from your people. It comes from the creative processes that you have within your organization. It doesn't necessarily come from the market. If you wait too long, the market will force you to act, yes, but in and of itself, it isn't a source of innovation. That's my view. So what are the sources of innovation? So I think for me, there's probably five and we see these pop up in different organizations at different points in time, but you'll know these and I'll give you some examples for these and you'll know these straight away, right? Things like changing demographics. This is a big trigger, right? When you, the, the baby boomers is the one that comes up all the time, right? And we've heard about the baby boomers for years and years and years. What's going to happen when the baby boomers retire, right? All these changing demographics. Well, it's starting. It's happening. Okay. I still, so I still see companies being incredibly un, unprepared for this. Okay. We're a couple years away from the big wave really hitting us. Are you going to be reactive or proactive in this? We'll find out shortly. I think most companies, unfortunately, are going to be quite reactive in how they deal with that baby boomer. But things like changing demographics, you've got perceptions and behaviors. I've mentioned a couple times this idea of free, perfect, and now. Uh, Originally, there was a book on this. I don't remember the author. Sorry, off the top of my head. And most recently, I I heard Daryl Mann uh, at a talk that he gave hammering on this, free, perfect, and now. And we, we need to think about the changing perceptions and behaviors. And he's absolutely right. You know, all of a sudden, a customer or consumer can just up and decide they're not going to pay for something anymore. Hey, Netflix, thanks for charging uh, or uh, increasing our rates, right? Customers can all of a sudden just decide, you know what? I don't need to pay for this anymore. I want it, I want it free, right? But what that brings with it then is opportunities around what we think of as perfection or, or how perfect a product or service needs to be in order to get the customer to buy. Not, not Sorry, I shouldn't say in order to get the customer to buy. What I should say is, whether or not it needs to be perfect in order to solve the customer's problem, in which case, if it solves the customer's problem well enough, then they're likely to, and again, they wouldn't be buying it because it's free, um, they'd be downloading it, right, or accessing it or, what, or whatever. But I love it when things are free. It's fantastic. I mean, this podcast is free, right? The YouTube training videos are free. I, I, I am hu- a huge proponent of giving things away for free. But that what that means then like you take this podcast or the YouTube training videos as an example, is they're not always perfect, right? There are bugs, and what it means is I have to do multiple iterations. 
sometimes to get out a good quality product. But a lot of consumers are okay with that. So anyway, changing perceptions, and we might shift from maybe wanting to have something for free to maybe being willing to pay $10 for it. In which case, though, do you want more quality? Right? Do, you, do you want it today? Do you want it right now? Okay. So those changing perceptions, again, a huge, huge trigger for innovation. This next one, you know, COVID, this is really one of these black swan events. And again, people, you know, unless this, unless you're sort of in one, right, and you've, you've experienced one of these in your lifetime, up until the point where you do, you just never think this is going to happen to you. And so, and again, in terms of innovation and planning and being proactive, you're not sitting around thinking, okay, well, as soon as there's a global pandemic, uh, I'm going to look at my processes and I'm going to, I'm going to, that's when I'm going to put these processes in and I'm going to start doing uh, automation here. I mean, nobody thinks like that, all right? But the point is there are things that happen. And as you see the curve beginning to take shape, you can react to it very, very quickly, okay? But this stuff does happen. And again, it's a huge source of innovation. I think of a lot of entertainers. I think, uh, you know, my uncle's an entertainer. And I was thinking about the ways in which he reacted. And he reacted very, very quickly to this. And again, the people, the entertainers that didn't, and the, even the restaurants and the organizations that didn't react very well and didn't change their processes or change the delivery of their services or their products or some of the features around their services and products, they were, they were really hamstrung by their inability to change. So again, black swan events are a fantastic trigger for innovation. Then you have things like uh, invention and discovery. Invention is another really interesting one. I gave a talk for Matriz, which is the International Triz Association, maybe a month or so ago. And I, I mentioned the blueprint for innovation, which is my definition of innovation. And I, I mentioned this in one of the first podcasts. And there was a question about whether or not this was an, a definition for innovation or a definition for invention? Well, it's very much a definition for innovation. And the, the way that you're able to tell whether or not something is invention or innovation is quite simple. Is it hitting the market? Is it diffused in the market? But a good source, a good trigger for innovation is invention, okay? If the invention actually comes out in the market and we're seeing that invention being diffused and begin to grow within the market, then it becomes a great opportunity for innovation. The problem is when great engineers and great scientists, these creative minds and these inventors build products or make discoveries and those, dis those discoveries get wrapped up in red tape or they get wrapped up in this idea about oh, I've got to spend five years getting all the patents for it and, and I'm never going to let it see the light of day before I do, the, all, the, all, do all that. And they sit on a shelf and the next thing you know, someone else comes along with something very, very similar and they're able to undermine that invention. And again, it may not be as good as, one, as another invention, but if it hits the market and it's free and it's available now, you know, people can take advantage of it and it, it does a really good job of solving someone's problem, you know, addressing, again, that tower of wishes and woes, then it doesn't matter what 
how good that other invention is, right? So when inventions hit the market, they're a huge trigger for innovation. And then probably the last big one is, and, and again, we see this in Australia all the time, it's changes, it's regulatory changes, compliance changes, right? Something should come to your mind as soon as I say that, especially if you're in Australia, right? You think of that idea of the Royal Commission, right? These Royal Commissions happened and usually, um, pretty much almost always, what follows that Royal Commission are changes in the way that we measure things, the way that we report things, the way that we interact with our customers, the way that we improve our transparency and so on and so forth, etc. When there are requirements for maintaining records and maintaining transparency, what we often find is, and this is going to lead us into the next part, is we start making changes in technologies and our processes, right? In order to give better service to our customers, okay? And so that's exactly what happens. We, we see these triggers of innovation in the market and it forces us, again, if we're being, especially if we're being reactive, it forces us to go into our organization and make a change. And I just gave them to you, those three that I just mentioned. What often happens when we make a change is we make a change either to our technology. Okay, so we, we either bring in a new technology or we make enhancements or tweak the existing technologies or systems we have. Or we re-engineer a process or design a new process or try to improve a process. Or we go after our products and our services. We might roll out new products and go after new markets for those products. Okay, we might cut away certain features that we realize maybe aren't as important because of what's happening in terms of these market changes, okay? So you might do something like that. And that's really, really interesting to think about as well because then what it means is you need to have people, if you think about the business intelligence piece and the front end, doing the market analysis, bringing all this information in for us, you need to have people that are across your technologies and your systems, your processes, and your products or services. You have to have that team, that nice blended team of different individuals from different areas so that you can think about really a holistic approach to how you're going to go after and address whatever these changes are going to be. And again, if you're proactive here, if you're thinking, you know what, we might be going into whatever a royal commission where they've announced that you're going into one, chances are you probably are, and, and this is your industry, right? You're probably already across some of the things that are likely to come up, okay, some of the things that are potentially likely to be an issue because you hear about the customer complaints, but you hear about some of the issues. So it's a really, really good time to start getting out in front and making those changes. Don't wait until the, the guillotine drops, okay? So I think that's quite important. And again, if I think back to the boxer's analogy in the beginning, you know, you, this isn't something you want to pick up and put down. Right? You, you want this mechanism to be part of your organization. You want to be living it and breathing it. You want to think about these external things that are happening within the market or these industry shifts that are going to open up opportunity for you. And then you want to have that team sitting there internally. And they might only need to meet once a month, but they're looking at opportunities to make changes, new technology adoptions, or the interaction between your technology layer and your process layer. Okay, and where your customers are interacting with your process layer, th things like that. 
So you want to be able to go after those things so that you're not stuck in this reactive situation where you've got a couple million dollars worth of lobster sitting on the tarmac or sitting, yeah, I think it is tarmac, sitting on the tarmac and you're really in a bind here. You know, the same thing if you're a wine, you know, wine producer, you know, what, 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 what do your sales look like? What are you committed to here? And what does that represent in terms of your, uh, as a proportion of your overall revenue, right? These Chinese exports, it's quite big. And again, I don't know the situation there, but the point is this stuff happens all the time. You know, things can happen in, in the U.S. And if that's a big shipping market for you, when presidents change, you know, we see, we see changes in the political landscape. Sometimes things happen, okay? All right, so that's all I wanted to share with you for today. Really, these are innovation triggers, or you can think of them as, again, sources of innovation. And what it's going to come down to is having a team that is thinking about this, that is aware of these things. And again, that's going to look at your technology, your process, and then also the products and services that you deliver. Okay, a couple things in terms of coming up, uh, activities coming up. So the YouTube channel launched finally. That's really, really cool. Really excited about that. The, the first couple of videos that went up are on causal analysis. There's a whole cluster of videos coming up there. And then from that session, or from sorry, from that playlist, we'll get into the sort of the next exciting piece, which, which is solutions, um, ideation, right? Coming up with ideas to problems. So that's pretty cool. And also, oh, finally, this is really cool as well. We've got our very first patron, which I'm really, really excited about. Thank you so much for supporting, you know, everything that we're doing here in the podcast and the YouTube videos and, and the the writing. And um, again, it's just, it's probably more of a fantastic positive reinforcer for me to keep making time to get this stuff out to you. I know that um, you appreciate that. So thank you very, very much for that. And again, keep the questions coming. I do have quite a few questions to go through with Matt the next time Matt and I are together. And then I also have some really, really exciting stuff that we're working on in terms of the podcast. I've reached out to several people now. I have confirmed two people. So one is Stephen Scott. Stephen Scott is uh, very invested in technology. He's been a, he's been involved in multiple startups. He's been in the automotive industry. Uh, he's done a lot of work with identity. Um, so he's coming on, and we're actually going to do something that is just so cool. We're, we're going to do this as a video session. So there'll be an audio podcast available, but we'll also do a video which will go on the YouTube channel. And we're actually going to work through a problem. And we're gonna go through the entire process of how to solve that problem. And we're going to go through the, the design of a solution, whatever that solution may be, I have no idea yet. And hopefully try to get out, uh, we should get to a low fidelity, but hopefully get to a high fidelity prototype that we can actually get out. The, the problem that we're going to look at, and again, we haven't done this first podcast yet, but it's going to happen pretty quickly. But the problem that we're going to look at is um, a problem where kids are getting trapped in cars. And especially in hot climates, they can get stuck in there. And just after a few minutes, the temperature can just skyrocket. And unfortunately, you know, there's been a lot of deaths that have resulted from that. And so I think this is something that um, is, is really, really important to look at. And again, it's a great example for us to use because, you know, I'm hoping that someone can potentially take whatever solution we come, come up with and run with it. And again, this is all going to be done 
completely open and transparently on the podcast. So you'll get to see literally how we do this, how we work through a problem and how we solve it and how we build a prototype. So that's going to be coming up from uh, this week, actually. And the other confirmed guest is David Trones. And this, this is a really, really cool one as well. David has been a mentor to me for quite a long time. I really love his work. He's absolutely brilliant. Um, he and Larry Ball and a few other authors have written, uh, it's got to be close to maybe 10 books, I would think. But he's going to be on the podcast and we're going to do a similar activity where we work through some problems and it's going to be absolutely brilliant. So really looking forward to, to sharing those. And again, um, this podcast is all about iteration and learning and taking on your ideas and feedback. So there were a few people actually that mentioned the idea of doing something like that. And I really, I really thank you for giving me the feedback because uh, here we are, we're going to do it. So some exciting stuff to look forward to in the coming weeks. And um, other than that, please reach out if you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas. And as always, thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Please like or subscribe or leave any comments or feedback. I really enjoy hearing from you. All right, we'll see you soon. Thanks.